I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran, and this is Radio vs. the Martians. You know, in Duke Nukem, they only had suggestions of intercourse. They didn't actually have intercourse happening. Have you played the... <laughs> there were puerile, puerile jokes about intercourse. Have you played The Witcher? Uh, is, I think there actually is intercourse that's in The Witcher. That's some intercourse. Mm. Get off. <laughs> that's some intercourse. I got laid earlier today in that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, video games. On a boat. Beautiful. <laughs> On a boat, even. <laughs> It was worth it. <laughs> oh, imagine, imagine the Love Boat as an open world video game. Oh, Rare. <laughs> All those like older cougars. Oh man! I, I think I think they did this a long time ago with Leisure Suit Larry. I think that's oh, basically yeah. that what was it was. not open world. If you didn't yeah, have anything well. that wasn't in the script, you got run over by a taxi cab yeah. or some shit. Yeah. I think with the creation of the Warriors video game, we've showed that we can resuscitate things that haven't been done in forever as a video game. Oh, and if enough of the original cast is still around, mm-hmm. yeah. usually they're totally game because they need to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I thought the Warriors video game was probably the best, perhaps the best movie adaptation of a video game next to GoldenEye that I've ever played. Never seen it. It's actually because it has such like a 30 year gap between the movie coming out and the game coming out. It has the least monetary motivation for existence yeah. of any game movie adaptation ever. And since it's a movie that is not well known as like, say, Jaws or Star Wars or something like that. It clearly comes from a place of love that the people who work at Rockstar were like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I want to make. They were like, I want to make a game that's like the Warriors. So like, wait, we can just get the license. <laughs> For like and five bucks. So I know. <laughs> and I bet you the people who made the Warriors were just like, oh, hell yeah, we can sell you that license. Yeah, I've only seen that movie because of the game. That's awesome. Huh? That good? Well, well it, it's more that I I thought I thought the game was interesting, but then it made me curious about what the movie was, and so I sought it out. Hmm. But I wouldn't have thought to do that necessarily. I love it that it's it's one of those games in the sort of evolution of, what, of Rockstar sort of developing their engine, where... Um, you saw shades of it in Grand Theft Auto games after it, and there were things that it that took from Grand Theft Auto games that came before it. Um, but it was its own unique animal because it's basically about fisticuffs. You're a, you're a street gang in the nebulous near future in a weirdly post-apocalyptic New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but there, uh, but other than like post-apocalyptic or just the eighties? <laughs> no, it's supposed to be in the near future. I think it's explicitly supposed to be in the near future. I think it's the same kind of era that you see in a lot of fighting games, where it's the year nineteen ninety X. Yes, mm. yes, yeah. But I mean, there's there's knives. That was a good and, year. There's knives and broken bottles, but it's not like you know, it's not like you ever get a you you ever get a gun and mow people down. It's about it's kind of it's kind of intentionally nerfed to hold on to that feeling of being like a tough ass bruiser who can who just like, will fucking sprint down a road, jump up in the air, turn my your body sideways and plow into like a whole group of rival gangs. It kind of feels like a, on the ground. It's like a cross between West Side Story 
and Escape from New York mm-hmm. yeah. a little bit. It's got that vibe to it. Okay. Um, Maybe the first level of Double Dragon. It is. Yes. I, I, yeah. I can guarantee you that games Wait, like so Double Dragon. Wait, so you're playing somebody yeah. who beats up an old lady with groceries and, and those yes, actions? Yes, of course you do. Yeah, yeah, you do. Okay, yeah. all right. It's you're a street gang. I mean, yeah, they, but in the Warriors, you got the sense that they weren't like the really terrible guys. They were the, the sort of terrible guys. They're, you're grading on a curve either way. <laughs> but, they're still criminals. They're yeah. like the rascals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so this is there's an open world game for you. This, we were talking about adaptation, right? This was our this was our, sort of where we had thought coming into here, right, Mike? Yeah. Um, this is something I've, I I want to hear uh, more points of view on because it's something that I do not have a definitive answer for, which is uh, we're seeing more and more uh, book series, movies, uh, video games, comic book movies, all this stuff where one medium is being adapted into a story in another medium with varying levels of um, – what is the word I'm looking for? Fealty. Fealty, uh, sometimes overwhelming, I guess, just enslaved to the source material, and other times they feel the need to just throw it free and do their own thing. Um, a good example is we hit the point with Game of Thrones right now where they're past the point that George R. R. Martin has actually published books. They have some points that George R. R. Martin have given him from the way the story is going to go in a very vague sense. They know some plot points. They know some things. But how those plot points come to fruition is entirely up to them. So the books that come out may be even more than the regular adaptation, a completely different animal. Walking Dead is something where the characters are there, and they have usually, with some exceptions, very similar personalities and the trajectory of the overall plot from one era of the comic book to the other is carried over with massive changes. There's people who are alive in the comic book who are dead in the show and vice versa. And what hit me was why is it that when sometimes like with the walking dead case, I find it refreshing. They're making those massive changes because it makes means that I have two different stories with similar characters to enjoy where I can be surprised in one if I've read ahead in another format. And then with Game of Thrones, I get fucking angry because they won't stick to that. And I don't have a consistent sense of feeling for one versus the other. So I guess what I'd like to know from everyone is do you how how loyal to the original medium's vision do you want an adaptation to be? And what is it that makes you, I don't know, maybe psychoanalyze me. Why do I uh, seem to have completely disparate views about how I view one adaptation being loyal versus another one being loyal? Mike, I think the basis of our friendship is that I don't try to psychoanalyze you. <laughs> <laughs> that way lies madness? Is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> I... But I don't know. Uh, it could be the stakes for one are not as high as the other. I think... I think maybe maybe Game of Thrones is more sensitive. People are a lot more gun shy about it, um, about that gap, that sort of adaptation gap, because the original is so strong. It's so full of lore and detail, and people are so in, have been so engaged by that like what six or seven year gap in between the last one and Feast of Crows. Right? There was like a seven year gap. Yeah, when the books first started coming out, they were coming out once every other year, and then. Between the third and the fourth book, there were like five years, and then between the fifth and the fourth and the fifth book, there were like six years, and I think we're going into year seven. Right. So I think I think that the gap in them, the gap in the books, but sort of the rarity of the material, with like I said, the richness of 
the world and those characters, uh, something that's totally reflected in the popularity of the series. It's popular because he wrote characters well and wrote situations well. Um, and I think people are rightly defensive because there's this divergence now. There's this there's this uh, uh, very real possibility that the um, the series will end and the end will be shown and spoiled before the books even get on the shelf. Um, and so I just think the stakes are higher in that. Whereas, as I don't know with Walking Dead, um, it seems like it's so open ended so as to not necessarily have an end uh, an end chosen for it. Right? There is. As far as I know, they have no intention of ending it. The comic the, book. The comic book. No. Um, I think that was actually the thing that Robert Kirkman said about it. He says a lot of zombie stories have a tendency to end on that bittersweet, vague note of people going off not knowing how they're going to survive. And he said, the most interesting thing in the world would be what happens next. And that we see their world get torn down. Like in the original Dawn of the Dead movie, it ends with them losing the shopping mall. That it's overrun with zombies. It's been attacked by these bikers. And they fly off in their helicopter. They don't have a lot of fuel and they don't know where they're going to go. And it ends on that note. And he's like, well, what happens next? What if I had a zombie story that never ended and people would die? They'd leave the story or come back into it or they'd... Uh, enter it, but that it would potentially go on forever. And I think that's slightly different because he's talking about a series of of tropes and a setting that isn't created by him, but has been sort of created collectively through people like George Romero. Mm -hmm. And then you have uh, a world that is very, very much George R.R. Martin's. And when you have so many little hints about what revelations are, and then you have another writer coming in and start filling that stuff in. And I guess, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just worried that, not that he so much as spoils Martin's things on this show, but that it may pollute the way I take Martin's revelations when that book eventually yeah. comes out. Like, what if I like something from the TV show better and I don't judge the book in the same way? Or, you know, am I being... There's, a, there's an inherent thing that I don't think you're noticing is that you're... Immediate judgment is that you want to appreciate the book more than the TV show. Yes, I do. Okay, because that that wasn't something I knew. Yeah, but, I think, and that's a tension that I think that's constantly at play with the fandom because with the television show, it is viewed by so many more people than will ever would have ever read the books before, just because there just aren't that many book readers compared to TV viewers. So there are more people invested in it. Um, and there is a sense of purity, right? There's a sense of defense of the purity of the of the show. So that's understandable, right? But I mean, there are more people who love the the idea of Game of Thrones in general now because of the show. Yes, because of the show. So mm -hmm. I think there's something. There might be something to lament, but there's also something to celebrate about it too. But there is, and I think that there's no way for me to read the next book of his series without hearing actor voices that they have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have taken over those mm -hmm. characters that. I can't read dialogue from Tyrion without hearing Peter Dinklage's voice. There's no way for me to do that. These these actors have become these characters. And actually, I'd be more worried about that for Martin, because Martin had... These were his babies. Um, does he start changing things because he's seen the show? And does that change the direction of things? And is that a bad thing? Because I don't really have an answer. Um, I'd like him to be able to write his story, and then somebody be able to write their story based on his story. But I don't know if cross-pollination is necessarily bad, but I could want to – I don't know. I, well, again, I don't have an easy answer because well, let's, I look – let's examine this from a different, from a different side then. Um, Sam, I know you're a big Preacher fan. 
Have you seen either of the two extant episodes of the AMC series? I have not, and okay. I have no intention of. Oh, okay. ever or not for a while? Uh, I, I am not saying ever, but I'm saying I have no intention of following the series. I'll put it that way. Uh, either of you two? Preacher? I don't Preacher? know. I, I, Preacher? Yeah, the, You're like, what's that? Yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> That's a class know. of person. Well, I, I think know, there's an elephant. There's... there's an elephant in the room, and I want to, uh, so I'm going to pull the room with this question, is I think yeah. the central question of Mike's, uh, of Mike's, concern here is what if it sucks right so has there is there an adaptation that you hated yeah uh i did not like the tank girl movie Mm. oh really and i really like the tank girl comics Hmm. okay so yeah i mean they're gonna have good ones and bad ones i mean sometimes i like adaptations better like for example i really liked um the hitman movie because really? <laughs> I did. I will go to the grave with that because video game movies are never fucking good, mm-hmm. ever. And, you know, I don't like the Resident Evil movies. I did kind of like the Silent Hill movie. Hmm. But, like, hmm. what I liked about the Hitman movie is that it wasn't trying, it just took the setting and it made right. its own thing of it. Hmm. And that's almost better to me than trying to recreate a storyline or recreate the exact thing. So I, I don't think there's a blanket rule for remakes. I think it, the conditions, you know, whether you're making a game based on a movie that's 30 years prior or whether you're doing something that's concurrent, uh, the situation really plays into how it should be structured and what I want from, from the remake. But I will say it makes me think of when some one singer does a song that another singer has done, I want, I, I want two things that kind of conflict, which is one is I want them to make it uh, I want to, them to show that they really appreciate the original. I want you know to, that they understand the heart of what made the first one great, and then simultaneously, I want them to do something completely different so that it's their own. Because if you're just trying to imitate someone else, then why do it? It's not your not your creative vision. And that brings us to an interesting situation with uh, it, this isn't an adaptation, but a remake of uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Mm. I hated the original Battlestar Galactica. I thought it was really droll and boring and, and derivative. Um, so much so that I uh, decided not to pay attention to the reboot until I managed to kept, catch an episode while I was sick where there was some sort of political intrigue at reestablishing something that uh, that looked like the UN at some sort of Canadian vacation spot. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was all done on that ship that had the, the yeah. fake ecosystem on yes. it. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is actually, I had no ch- idea what channel I was on. I'm like, this is actually pretty interesting because I like weird politics. And then, out of nowhere, they go on an airwalk and suddenly there are robots in space. I'm like, okay, this is my show now. What the <laughs> hell is it? Battlestar Galactica? You're kidding me. And uh, with, oddly enough, kind of like All Along the Watchtower. Mm, Not mm. a Hendrix song, but mm. even... Uh, Wow, I'm bad at names. I just had his Dylan. name. Dylan. Yeah, Bob Dylan even likes that version better. Hmm. The Hendrix hmm. version better. Hmm. Uh, there's a, there's a which they precedent. used in the show, oddly enough. Right. <laughs> there right. was actually a um, oh, the adaptation of a Stephen King novella or short story. I don't know where the line's drawn, but uh, The Mist yeah. was mm-hmm. a, one of my favorite horror movies of the last 10 years. And it has a different ending than the book. Mm-hmm. And it basically takes the book and then adds five minutes with such a gut punch in the stomach ending that later Stephen King said, man, I wish I had written that. 
Hmm. So That's what awesome. if that happens to George R. R. Martin? Is that it, it doesn't like you said, it doesn't have to be bad. We have mm-hmm. examples where that sort of cross pollination uh, is good. Maybe Peter Dinklage playing Tyrion and having Tyrion stop being uh, a product merely in his head and then have somebody else sort of live that character out in the context of TV production uh, gives him some insights into the character he didn't already had. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually would be happier with uh i i haven't been reading the the books the game of thrones books up to up to present i read the first couple but even just knowing that they exist i kind of wish at this point that they would diverge i i want them i think they've got strong writers that are working on the show i think that they've got a lot of interesting characters i would love if they were willing to go in a different direction just so that you don't have to have the the book spoiled by the show um and that you could have two interesting artistic projects yeah. in the same world that aren't beholden to one another. Yeah. I, I actually I like some of the th- elements that they've added to the show that were not in the books. I think are interesting. They've put in interesting, you know, Rob Stark's wife. I thought was mm-hmm. it was a cool character, and it added uh, added a lot to the Red Wedding. Um, I don't want them to be tied up in 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 the fate, and it it does. I do think that they're can be something taken away from from the story if it isn't done well well it's interesting because that the the divergence the idea of a divergence between where the tv show will end and presumably where george rr martin's book will end will actually probably be the one thing that will convince me to go back and read the books if there actually is a if a substantive difference between both of the denouement like i'll be like yeah, I'll do it because I love the TV show. I love the characters. I want to go back and see where they split. You know, mm-hmm. see it'll, those it'll give alter- you a new story and a new way to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, like it wouldn't be the first show to do that either. Obviously, I mean, like Dexter did it. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. only true to the books for the first like what two or three seasons. Right, that was a book series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, that was it. But I see the and I think we tried to I tried to point out the differences is that Game of Thrones intentionally has an end. Yes. It, it was conceptualized yeah. to have an end, which is different than, like, I was making the point about Walking Dead. These comic books generally don't, not always, but generally don't have an end. They generally are going to con- consider the same universe. The same theme is going to keep rolling on. And TV shows, you know, mostly just go until they aren't popular anymore and then they quit. Well, until recently. <laughs> yeah. um, they sort of took on that model. But I think it's a difference between... Things should end, though. A character... Agreed. Well, everything will end eventually. <laughs> um, there is only come one... Come on, eat that! <laughs> yeah. Mike, there is only one exit in life. The uh, <laughs> the thing that I, I kind of come back to a lot of times is, is there's two different kinds of characters in fiction. There's the character who has many stories and the character who has one story, even if it's a really long story. Walter White is a fundamentally different character than Captain Kirk, and not mm. just in the things that make their personality or their type of stories different. Captain Kirk is a guy who has many, many adventures, like James Bond or Batman, that you have this Batman story, it begins and it ends, and another Batman story begins. Walter White has one big long story, one long character arc that has little pit stops and eras in it, but it's ultimately moving from its very first episode with a science teacher with cancer to the very last episode where he's a drug kingpin. Um, it's, it's, rise and, it's a rise and fall of a guy who is one thing at the beginning and a different thing at the end, uh, where if you look at um, Captain Kirk, Captain Kirk is always Captain Kirk. Batman is always Batman. Maybe you do a flashback story where before he's Captain Kirk, before he's Batman, about every four or five years. Yeah, that you always want to shake things up a little <laughs> bit. 
Uh, but, you know, ultimately, it, it comes back to the fact that some characters are serial. The characters in Walking Dead are serial characters. So this actually brings me back to the preacher thing. Um, is is uh, Jesse Custer has Jesse one Custer character. Has, is one character, he's got one storyline, and if they're going to make the adaptation, I would like them to do it right. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I brought up Battlestar Galactica was to bring it back to this. Battlestar Galactica, I gave it a chance to surprise me by ignoring it. And now uh, with Preacher, um, they're talking about somebody's talking about doing the Hyperion novels. Somebody's talking about, you know, they've been trying to do the Foundation novels for like 30 years at this point. Sure. But it sounds like somebody's finally going to give them the go ahead after Game of Thrones. Um, uh, and then the fan theory about 10, 15 years ago that Patrick Stewart was going to front the Transmet. Uh, yeah series yeah. where he'd play spider jerusalem which by the way would have loved that um, he, he might be a bit too advanced in age as, yeah as uh, as ageless as he seems <laughs> um, i don't think i've ever said this out loud before but my kind of weird personal choice for spider jerusalem paul giamatti no john malkovich john malkovich oh, yeah. could definitely do it um but the thing is is i'm gonna let it go and because i i don't think it's gonna lack for uh it's gonna lack for interest i don't think it's gonna uh, you know become anemic um you want to see if it's worth your time but i want um i want somebody to tell me holy cats you have to see this um and then go back and watch it mm-hmm. and then i got nothing bad to say because like right now i am schrodinger's viewer <laughs> <laughs> and i want to leave it there and until I feel comfortable all, opening the all, box. All I'll say is that it's that so far it's very di- without saying anything. It's very divergent. It's, okay. It's in, it, from the inception, it's incredibly divergent. So there's another thing that I should probably mention. Uh, probably waiting for this one. I am a Dune fan. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do another one of those. That's, you know, Yodorowski is still alive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is, man. Just somebody give him $400 million and... Uh... <laughs> and resurrect what's-his-face, Salvador Dali. Right, yeah. right. Because uh, that was we a We can key get point. John Waters. We definitely <laughs> get John Waters. John Waters can be the new Dali. Well, but that's the thing, is... is I'm a huge Dune fan. Uh, well, okay, I was, I was really young when the first movie came out. Uh, and I was told by other other Herbert fans to just completely ignore it. It's a piece of shit. It it it's not good to the movies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, and I finally watched the four hour cut because for some reason I opt for the longer versions. Crumble, grumble. Uh, <laughs> that, and that part of the equation is not oh. my fault. <laughs> yes, yes. I still blame you. Um, but. It's amazing. It, it looks like Dune. Uh, doesn't smell like Dune. Doesn't really have the depth of character that Dune has because you can't because you can't spend so much. No matter how much voiceover work you do, you really can't get inside their heads in a movie the way you can in, in literature. Um, and uh, it's nuts. It's got Sting in a plastic V yeah. <laughs> uh, in a steam bath with a magical fat man revolving around him like a very small planet. I mean, it's got a guy ripping off a tongue off a cow and eating it. It's got a juice box made out of mice. It's got heart plugs. It's got, I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. And I love it 
on its own merits. If yeah. you took the Dune out of it and just made it, uh, uh, David Lynch gets weird at you in science fiction land for four hours. So basically, David Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> D- um, David Lynch gets out of bed in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I would love it all the same. It's an amazing train wreck. Um, where. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel and some German network actually did a very good um, version uh, miniseries of Dune in 2000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they did Children of Dune in 2003. I thought Children of Dune was much better than Dune, but it was a very faithful conversion. Um, the only thing they really did was play up Princess Ireland so that she would have... They, they made her more of a of a... Of a character in the miniseries, mm. I thought to the benefit of the character, I gave her more depth that you only find out in the later novels. Um, way more boring. Yeah. I mean, uh, Dune was a lovely train wreck. This was just a really good adaptation, a really solid adaptation with good acting, great scenes, and enough streamlining to the storyline to make it fit inside of the six hours they had to do it. Mm-hmm. It was great. I watch it. I actually probably watch it more than I watch the Dune, uh, the Dune, uh, the first Dune movie. Because man, you got to be ready for that shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it, you know, so sometimes this is again so bad. It's good. It's like maybe if it takes it in a really vastly different direction, it can maybe base itself off of the stuff thing. It's uh, the you know, it's say it's vaguely based on. Sure. Uh, if I choose to speak English. Inspired by. Inspired by. (laughs) But then it takes on a life of its own. And if Preacher does that, then it's probably not going to bother me. I could say so far with Preacher, the tone, I guess you could say the the attitude and personality is there, even if the plot isn't. There are things in the the, that are just audacious that Mm. they do in the show that I kind of like. Like, Let me spoil the first shot of the TV show. Okay. It's uh, what I know is Genesis, the uh, half-demon, half-angel, screaming comet. Yeah. Um, that's screaming like a baby. And the opening page is just, I see Saturn, and the big title card just says, Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> and then Comet, screaming like a baby, goes, <laughs> That And it's you like... You do that on a loop. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that is just so fucking weird that I kind of love it. Um and it's the Howard Dean scream right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we just heard Mike's Howard Dean. That yeah! was the denouement of my uh, my presidential campaign. <laughs> but yeah, I just I kind of like that. Um, I'm willing to sort of let it go. I think going into it knowing it's not a strong, densely enslavish, loyally you know adapted story mm. probably makes me feel better. I'm going to need more it. than two episodes before I'm willing to open the box. Oh, though. absolutely. I'll I think just, um, I think the safe yeah. thing to do give yourself a season. Okay. A season is probably... And, the... and just watch it all in one sitting. That's how I watch everything. <laughs> it's, it's more fun. I actually, I regret... I'm enjoying the new Game of Thrones season. I wish I wish that I had just waited until I could have binged it. Yeah. Uh, because the, the the story breaks are happening in places that I don't want them to. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I, I want to have more control well, over that. It's interesting because HBO is decidedly... I mean, HBO is still kind of the pinnacle of creating long-form, long, long television... And they're still holding on to the idea that uh, making weekly shows versus making a whole season and binging for them is something that's worth doing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think Game of Thrones has definitely utilized that formula really well. 
the in joy pa- of the cliffhanger. Seasons. The joy of the cliffhanger. Yes. Yeah, that you can keep somebody coming back, and yeah. if you can make somebody scream at the screen as the credits come up. Now mm-hmm. you can go to that too. You can go to that well too many times, though. You can. Just they probably they might have at this point. They okay. might have actually. Got I think I'm pulling out of a a dive. Is what I think is happening to me emotionally with Game of Thrones, is that it, there it was so wonderfully um, adapted in so many places that I could let a lot of changes go. And when it's going into this place, I'm like, it's not Martin, it's not Martin, it's Martin. And I'm just kind of like, I think what it took is it took a couple moments that were genuinely really very good instead of a couple moments that just pissed me off. Like all the stuff in Doran that they just threw away and I was angry at them for. The oh God, the thing with Hodor was so well done hmm. that I thought that was that was remarkably well done. I think there was another reveal. The reveal of the origin of the White Walkers was done so well that I'm like, that's a really good idea. I hope that's in the novel. It was the thing that I thought. I think it hmm. must be something that big. And I'm like, that's such a great idea. And um, I think I'm starting to go, you know what? Just fucking go with it. You know, I'm just I fought it for a long time. And I'm like, <laughs> can I learn to enjoy this on its own terms, knowing that it's not going to be exactly like that, especially because you can adapt things like the Battlestar Galactica being the, the key example. It took a mediocre thing with a great concept and made it into a great thing with a great concept. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I could say the same thing of my favorite movie of all time. The original Planet of the Apes is based on an OK novel with a cool concept. And they changed so much about that. And a lot of it was changed entirely based on budget. Like, we can't have the apes do this. They can't have helicopters. We can't do that. It's like, fuck it. They live in Flintstone Town. (laughs) And I'm fine with that because that's my vision of the story was the adaptation. And I have to kind of learn to – this is me kind of having to make myself become a grown-up and go, you know what? That's the vision of this story for all these people too. And I'm like – you know what? Just fucking learn to like it. There's two different things that exist. This thing is still over here, even if these people adapting it to a different medium have changed it. Right. And I can learn to share my toys a little bit. I, uh, I almost thought you said Battlefield Earth. <laughs> oh. I, I'm, is I'm, an adaptation. It, it is. is an adaptation. Yes. I've realized now that what it is is that I'm totally fine with adaptations from one medium to another, even if they end up being mediocre because I like the attempt. I still am not fine with pointless cash-in remakes of mm. classic movies. Like that's where I mean we just I'm just that's not an adaptation. Yeah, of course it's an adaptation. What is the new Ghostbusters movie if it is not an adaptation? It's a financial investment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's the same thing with like why was there a new RoboCop movie? Yeah, I'm I'm honestly more I'm more comfortable talking about the RoboCop movie because that's completely over. We don't know what the the new Ghostbusters movie is going to be yet. I know, Um, and 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 we should it doesn't look that great from the we should scale back because obviously it's. Speaking from a position of ignorance, and it's a whipping boy or whipping girl. Yeah, I don't really right want to play the play the whipping yeah. game. All, um, all the, all, except with RoboCop, because except you know why? With RoboCop, I forget they remade RoboCop about twenty minutes after we talk about it yeah. every time. <laughs> so I mean, if we we get angry at these remakes all the time, but ultimately, you know, if it's going to be the way that it always has been, let's just say the Ghostbusters movie is as bad as we think it is. A year from now, we won't remember it, yeah. and we're yeah. back to where we were. Yeah. It's agreed. like, I think we win at that point. It's, nothing has been ruined. As they say, nothing is fucked. Yes. Well, this is not an adaptation, but this goes back to my sort of Schrodinger's viewer thing, which is a, a, an actual Ghostbusters adaptation, that uh, video game they did yes. uh, a few years ago. Yeah. I was told yes. to stay well away from that. Oh, I love no, that. It's good. It's great. Oh, it's really it? fun. Yeah. 
It was great. It was so much awesome. fun. Well, I got something to do now. <laughs> it's, you know how the longest time there was Dan Aykroyd trying against in, in a Michael Dorn-like way to make Ghostbusters 3? <laughs> oh. That's I, so what you said. It's just so sad. It is. The <laughs> very act. It's the same thing. I he's, he's the Don Quixote of Star Trek actors. <laughs> he's the Richard Hatch of Star Trek yeah, actors. No, yeah, Richard, Richard Hatch, Hatch was won. successful. Yes. Yeah. Richard Hatch was like that lone uh, Japanese soldier on an island even after the war is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, it's over. It's done. Just let it go. You're not going to get another Battlestar Galactica show. Yeah. And then he he was really apparently angry about the Ronald D. E. Moore remake. And then he was like, fuck, this is good. I want to be in that. Yeah. And then he got probably the best role of his career. He so sure did. He was so good in it. Oh I know. God. He was, he was great. such a slimy fuck. It was amazing. I love that character. Um, yes. So I, I look at it and I'm like, you know, this could be good. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm kind of hoping for is... If it's bad, it's likely to be forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you can do something like the Captain America Civil War is a great movie based on a mediocre comic book. Okay. And it's like, I if you were going to tell me, I'm going to adapt that story, I'm like, yep, nope, nope. <laughs> but no, nope, I don't want to see that. That was terrible. And uh, it openly, Marvel was openly encouraging the internet to fight with each other for like a year. And that was the worst time to be a comic book message board moderator. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs> I think maybe what we what we've just sort of perhaps come to an, a universal agreement is is that perhaps to now is the era of giving things the benefit of a doubt or at least giving things the distance of time for the dust to settle for opinions to tamp down a bit uh and for you to uh wait till the fallout has uh has sort of seeped away from the the uh, you know the event horizon mixing the, metaphors now yes. and then go for it and then and then see how it to how extend it your mixed metaphor uh we live in such a a media rich ocean we we live in this ocean of media you know i mean hundreds of video games hundreds of movies you know hundreds of tv shows come out Every year, more so than than at any other time in media history, it's easy to pay attention to something else. Uh, yeah. You know, for example, I don't really like Game of Thrones, or I, I didn't care for the TV show when I saw. I'm also staying away from it because I want to read the books at some point. Um, but uh, and I'm kind of like Mike; I'd rather have the books and then see the TV show rather than the other way around. Um, the fact that literally everybody, every other hominid. Uh, you know, like even chimpanzees watch Game of Thrones, um, and everybody talks about it online. Um, doesn't bother me at all because there's so much other stuff that I can pay attention to, and it's great. Yeah, right. we're spoiled now, right? Yeah, spoiled brats. No, we're not all spoiled if we go. Hey, isn't this awesome? I I think that the change in my own behavior, and I can, I think I want to do this now, is that I think I want to give myself a one trailer rule that I don't no. want to. I mean, Star Wars is probably the most crazy example of this but do i really need to spend a year and a half watching commercials and promotional material for a movie that i have already decided i'm going to watch (laughs) (laughs) do i i mean i i don't need to know every single part of it i want to bring back the joy of discovery again i mean again i know casey you and i have harped this oh god we've beaten this dead horse with rocket surgery, but you did it again. Let's let's just mix keep, the metaphors. Mix those metaphors. And just, can we get can we get a quadruply mixed metaphor? And uh, was the fact that we saw the movie John Wick, and I went in knowing nothing except uh, Keanu Reeves with a gun on the poster. I didn't know the plot. 
I didn't spend a year watching trailers, watching people dissect it like the fucking Zabruder film, <laughs> trying to figure out every plot. I went, oh, that actor right there, that person must be this person from the thing. And I know exactly what their role is. And people are talking about this in the script. And it's like, I don't want to know all of that. I kind of want to be surprised because going into John Wick, not even knowing it's an action movie is kind of awesome. Not knowing what it's about and you're watching going, oh, you go, oh you that, that moment of discovery is amazing. I, I love it. Yeah. I don't get it very much anymore. I think we saw um, Midnight uh, Special, the movie with the guy who played Zod. Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon. Yeah. And um, uh, Which Zod? The newer New Zod. Zod. Oh, Man the only good part of Man of Steel. Next Snap Zod. Next yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But my, uh, Michael Shannon. Um, and I had no Joel idea. Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. It had the guy um, who played Kylo Ren in it, Adam Driver. Um, Kirsten Dunst. And it's weird is I don't know who any of these people are in the movie. So when they show up, I'm like, holy crap, Adam Driver's in this movie. And I watch John Wick and I'm like, holy crap, John Leguizamo's in this movie. <laughs> and it's like surprising. And it's like I don't ever get that experience. So I think my new rule for myself is I will only watch just enough to make a decision about whether I want to pay $10, maybe one trailer, yeah. and just walk away. Just walk away after that. Let's go, I don't think I want to see that. And then I'll wait for other people to tell me it's great or terrible. So similar story. Uh, Becky, for her birthday a year or so ago, said, uh, okay, well, like, she's like, I want to watch a movie. And I'm like, all right, let's watch a movie. Well, I want to watch a science fiction movie. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I want it character-driven but kind of existential. Da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, Dark City it is. And so I put Dark City in, and she's like, oh, my God, I didn't know this movie existed. Ah, da, da, da. Right. It's that we can have that moment a lot now. It's great. Yeah, I want that more. <laughs> oh my God. Didn't didn't we have speaking of surprise? Didn't you have a friend that had never? Wait, you you had one of those virgin moments, one of those cherry breaking moments with a friend. Right? Oh, you, you, know what, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, we, we said about never Star, to talk about that. No. Never <laughs> seen Star Wars before. Oh, I mean, I know Ross no, 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 no. It wasn't Star Wars. Um, actually, it's a mutual friend of me and Sam, and yeah. Sam was here to witness this. Uh, one of us made a reference to... Wait, oh, my wait, God, hang on. Yes. I'm going to... I want to see the reaction yes. when you tell this story. It's good. So okay. Gonna, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, we have a friend named Sean, and I don't know how this came up, but it's like, you know how you make movie references all the time? And this one was to Soylent Green. And I guess <laughs> there's some health food or something that's called Soylent. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah, I like the health food. I'm like, no, like like the movie. There's a movie? And I'm like, holy crap, I don't think he knows the spoiler of Soylent Green. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was weird. And, then like, and we just said, dude, we need, wow. we need you to watch this movie. Worth it. But you also the- not seen Futurama? Yeah. 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 Right. It's they joke about it all the time. It's referenced <laughs> everywhere. How do you avoid this? It's like, I knew what Rosebud was and who Darth Vader's son was. And I knew all of this stuff way before I saw these movies for the first yeah. time. He, he does strike me as somebody who's been shielded from a fair bit of media, uh, much like... Uh, our friend Rich, Rich, Rich Lyons. Lyons, if we're going yeah. into like really early lore for both of our shows. You were going to say Rich Evans. I almost said Rich, Rich Evans. He's all I'm sure friends. Rich Evans has seen Soylent Green. <laughs> <funny. laughs> but the, uh, the thing was, I was like, I, I need to protect this moment. I need mm. him to be the first person since 1974. You got him the DVD <laughs> yes. less than a week later. It I'm is like, in his hands right now. I, you, got it, you got it to him? I did. Okay, good. So I made him promise one thing. Never, don't Google this movie. 
don't mention the title of this movie to anybody before you watch it. Yeah. Because if you mention the title of this movie to anyone, 99% of people will immediately yell out, Soylent Green is people. Yep. Right. Yeah. That yeah. is the only thing the, that anyone the, the knows. The movie, the only cultural shibboleth of that movie is... T- the spoilers. Spoil That's amazing. Again, yeah. Speaking as a guy whose favorite movie is Planet of the Apes, everyone knows the end of that movie. Very few people, sadly, have seen the first hour and 40 minutes before the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. So I know exactly what that is because I've, I, but oh my God, he is a, he is a beautiful unicorn that needs to be protected at all costs. <laughs> so I don't say anything to anybody. And it's probably a good idea to not read the the liner notes on the inside of the DVD with the chapter headings, because one of them is just called It's People. (laughs) I do want to point out is that you're not trying to protect his ignorance. No. You're trying to make him the first human being in the 21st century (laughs) to have the twist ending of Soylent Green actually be a twist. That's what you were aiming for. I want him to have the same experience that somebody in the movie theater had in the 1970s, (laughs) going, holy shit! Because he'll be the only one. Yeah, he came in last week for post show and said, uh, "Just let Mike know, I've I I took his advice and I still have no idea what's happening." Okay. So wow. yeah, so this is this is happening. Well, we this almost need down. to we almost need to live stream the reaction of this. <laughs> watching Soylent Green for the first time. Yes. I we can make that happen. Honestly, that felt a little too. Pornographic for me. I don't know that I want to get in somebody's. He's just, just going to have a, a brain orgasm. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But that's like uh, like it's a major cultural moment for yeah. a person. I don't know that I want to document that for my own nefarious purposes. He should have that moment in private. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. He can't be responsible for the funny face he makes. <laughs> Can never be judged on that face. No. <laughs> No, it's it's not going to be flattering, and just let him have it. Yeah. That's his moment. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Making our food out of people. Next thing they'll be breeding us like cattle for food. You gotta tell them. You gotta tell them. Promise, Tiger. I promise. I'll tell the exchange. You tell everybody. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell them. Silent Green is people. We gotta stop them somehow. <laughs> <laughs>